Hey, Howard Jacobson here. Welcome to today's Plant Yourself podcast. A quick reminder, this podcast is free for everyone and supported by patrons. So if you would like to find out about becoming a patron of the show and helping us out, helping defray the cost, helping to spread the message, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. Thanks so much and enjoy today's episode. Hey, everyone, it's Howard Jacobson here with another daily COVID-19 episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, South African Lockdown Edition Day 10. It's a beautiful sunny morning here, a lot of bird activity, and we woke up, um, did a house clean. Somehow when the when the sun glints in, it's just that uh, really um, steep angle, sharp angle. You can see all the dust. You can see uh, where you didn't clean. So we did a, a good cleaning this morning as we await news from the State Department on whether they're going to have flights for us this week or next week or not, as we await news from the South African government about whether they're going to roll the lockdown into a second three weeks, um, as things on the, on the store shelves become a little bit harder to get, lots of deliveries aren't being made. We haven't seen a, uh, a newspaper in town since um, Thursday the 26th of March. Um, and this morning we were watching uh, BBC and was thinking about how little we know about what's going on, about the virus, about the causes, about how it spreads. If you've listened to my uh, interview last week with uh, Dr. Michael Rothberg, where he talks about, like, we really don't know a lot more than we do know, and the importance of testing and the importance of getting these baselines and denominators to understand what exactly we're facing, how serious, what the, um, the, the death rate is likely to be. And then with all the nonsense coming out of the White House, unproven theories, um, untested cures, statements that are blatantly false, it's very easy to, to look around and think that, there, that somebody is pulling the strings on all this, that somebody is benefiting somehow, and like maybe this whole thing is a big conspiracy. And of course... We've seen, if you're uh, depending on on who you're in touch with and what you're reading these days, the uh, the internet is rife with conspiracy theories. So the first one I saw was that this is this came out of you of Wuhan, and there was a uh, Chinese um, bioweapons factory there, and the U.S. government was involved, and so therefore this was obviously a bioweapon that was either purposefully released or it accidentally escaped. Um, I've also seen plenty of theories that this was orchestrated by world governments as a scenario in which to impose totalitarian control, that when people are scared, they will allow their civil liberties to be abrogated in ways that uh, would be less likely during, uh, during times of, of relative stability and, uh, and peacefulness. I've also seen folks say that this is all due to the, um, the new 5G networks, the cell um, protocol that, uh, that gives us faster cell phone. And I've also seen this as a, a, um, a plot by the pharmaceutical companies to, uh, to increase profits just to make more money. And I'm sure I've missed 
an entire class of conspiracies. Um, I've certainly seen people posting in um, contradiction to what sort of the medical establishment is telling us, which the medical establishment is telling us, stay home, this is a giant big deal. And I've seen people posting um, that this isn't actually a very big deal at all, and we're blowing it out of proportion, and we're going to destroy our economy for something that's actually less dangerous than the seasonal flu. And people are posting all sorts of charts and comparisons, looking at the number of COVID-19 deaths with various other things and pointing out that they're, they're still quite small. Um, I, some people I know who are actually quite scientifically literate are pointing out things like um, when you look at who's getting sick, most of them are already immunocompromised and the uh, the effects of uh, ACE2 inhibitors, the uh, um, very, very popular antihypertension medication, actually mimic a lot of the symptoms of COVID-19. And the thought is that maybe the virus is acting in concert with these drugs and uh, making a lot of people sick with it that otherwise wouldn't have to be. And there certainly are plenty of conspiracies about why the U.S. government in particular has messed up so badly, why they didn't take it seriously, why the CDC, whose job is to protect Americans from disease, uh, completely fell down, was completely surprised, um, has the, apparently the, uh, the stockpile of ventilators wasn't maintained and so a lot of them are broken. The masks um, aren't coming fast enough. There's all now. The more, this morning there was uh, talk of uh, U.S. piracy against Germany, and uh, you know, in this in this scramble for life-saving equipment. So it's easy to see how you could come up with all sorts of big explanations that this isn't just an accident. This isn't just a thing that happened. This is a, a concerted. Uh, coordinated effort by somebody, and somebody's getting rich off of this, and somebody's benefiting, and it's at our expense. So the first thing I got to say is I have no idea if any of these conspiracy theories are right or wrong. Uh, and that may shock you to hear, but honestly, I, I base my opinions on evidence. And conspiracy theories are typically lacking in evidence, and evidence, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. So just from a purely scientific point of view, I can't really say, well, that sounds outlandish. Therefore, it's clearly not true. Because so we know that science is flawed in many ways. You know, every, every, if you look back over the history of science, everything that we know now, at one point we thought differently. And so that's the nature of science, that it's, it's, it's incomplete, imprecise, always growing. And so we can never, scientists, real scientists, not, uh, not scientismists, not people who believe in the religion of science, but people who practice actually science understand that our knowledge at any given time is always tentative. It's always um, falsifiable. And, and that's what real scientists do is they look at the status quo and they try to falsify. They try to say, well, what's, what's not exactly right? What part of this theory can we refine? Can we improve? What can we throw out? How can we match our understanding of the world to the reality better and better and better? Because ultimately science, the, the, the litmus test of science is if it helps us predict our world. 
And so the better model we have, the closer the model uh, allies with reality, the more useful it is and the truer we um, assess it to be. So we, we know that science by its very nature is not, never going to give us the truth. It's going to give us an approximation of the truth that we continually uh, chisel away at. The second thing is we know that science as it's practiced today is very often indistinguishable from technology. It's not real science. Um, T. Colin Campbell wrote about this in Whole, the book that I helped him with, that the profit motive means that we don't do real science very often anymore. We don't look for paradigm shifts. We're just looking for more and more things that the marketplace will want to sell and buy at a profit. And as a result... One of the things that happens is uh, publication bias. So things that appear to be outlandish or appear to be revolutionary don't get published nearly as often as things that confirm what we already know. The things that confirm what we already know very often have profit potential attached to them. And we know from pharmaceutical trials that the way the, the game is set up, they only need, a pharmaceutical company needs two positive trials to show that their product is better than placebo or better than standard of care. And they can take as many shots as they want at that until they get their, their two trials. So this is like the, the pharmaceutical companies would be like me doing a highlight reel of shooting three-point baskets, spending an entire day throwing the, the balls up at the net, hitting four of them, out of 700 and putting those four together into a highlight reel and going, damn, he's good at basketball. So we know that there are definite flaws with science. We know that science is being used by our society not to heal things, not to make people healthier, not to heal the earth, um, not to reverse climate change. Um, not to deal with poverty. Instead, science is a really a handmaiden of industry, a handmaiden of profit. And arguably, science is one of the forces that's making all of these problems worse and worse and worse. Science certainly created the airplanes that allowed us to spread this virus faster than any other virus has ever spread. Um, science has provided the infrastructure for cities that create, um, you know, incubation cells for this virus. And as much as science is working to come up with vaccines or prophylactics or treatments, if it weren't for science, we probably wouldn't be in this particular mess in the first place. So all that is to say is I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea, you know, if there are evil people in a lab somewhere in Wuhan, China, rubbing their hands together saying, ha-ha, our plan worked, I don't know. What I would say, though, and this comes um, from an essay that I read by Charles Eisenstein on COVID-19, and I recommend it to everyone. If you go to charleseisenstein.net, you'll see it right there. So the, the issue with, um, with conspiracy theories is not if they're right or not, because we can't know by definition. A conspiracy theory is almost like a religion. You believe it or you don't believe it. It'll take a long time for any evidence to come out one way or the other. The better question is, is this way of thinking empowering? 
So if you think that the problem is cell towers, what are you going to do about that? You're going to go and um, bomb the cell towers? You're going to cut the wires? You're going to protest? You're going to um, walk around with a placard on the streets where no one else is so no one can see you? Is your view empowering? Is it actionable? Does it help others? And most of all, does it build connection rather than separation? Because since we can't know, we might as well believe things that are empowering, that allow us to take an action that feels important and meaningful, that can actually help other people as well as ourselves, and brings us together. And I've been thinking about the idea of connection rather than separation. You may know the, uh, the name of my company is How We Connect, little pun on my name. Um, but connection has always been the centerpiece of the work that I do in the world, breaking down divisions, divisions between us and nature, divisions between humans, divisions between societies, divisions between parts of myself, coming into integration. Because integration is the prerequisite for liberation. If we are at war with ourselves, we cannot act in a free way. We're always going to be constrained. If we're at war within our family or our community or our nation, then there is no liberation for all. There's only people in prison and people who imprison themselves behind security measures. There's no, there's no real liberation or freedom there. So connection is extremely important to me. And, and I was thinking about that in relation to this word conspiracy, which is a, a Latin word, two Latin words, con, together, and spira. Spiro, spirit, means breath, like inspiration, expiration. So conspiracy literally means to breathe together. And so originally it was a group of, you know, men with their heads bowed low, whispering, sharing each other's breath because they were so close to each other, talking so quietly, you know, heads down in a circle in a cabal. Well, now we're all breathing together, aren't we? What you breathe out, I breathe in. We are all a conspiracy. We are the conspiracy that spread coronavirus. It's our breath onto our hands, onto surfaces, into the air. If it wasn't for us, there would be no pandemic. We are the conspiracy right now. And so given that, given that our breath is what's spreading it, can we create a different, a positive conspiracy to help our spirits and to help our bodies, to help our overall health? What can we share besides droplets of virus? What can we do to lead to healing, to connection in this era of isolation, of sheltering in place, of lockdown, of shutdown, of quarantine? What can we do ourselves to influence the outcome, to influence the flow of negativity and positivity? So I want to talk about two conspiracies 
that we know to be accurate and true, about which there's really no debate. And how we can understand and use those conspiracies to better the world and to take positive action rather than just railing against evil forces that we just simply conjecture. So one of the true conspiracies is that human beings are irrational. If you've never read the work of Duke professor Dan Ariely, check out his first book, Predictably, sorry, Predictably Irrational. Check out his second book, The Upside of Irrationality, or any of his work, his TED Talks. And his work is part of a wonderful tradition in behavioral economics that shows just how irrational our thinking is. When you think about like what the human brain evolved, the, the, the uh, environment in which we evolved, it was not meant to deal with giant, global, systemic, long-term events. Right? So we tend to be reactive versus preventive. Right? There really hasn't been a country in the world that has been preventive in a timely fashion. The, the, the governments have to wait until things start getting at least a little bit bad before announcing stringent measures that if they'd announced two weeks earlier and people had agreed to, would have stopped the virus in its tracks, right? People don't like to pay for insurance. They don't like to pay to prevent things. In my business, helping people with chronic disease, I would say 95% of the people who come to me want to reverse or halt the chronic disease rather than young people who want to prevent it in the first place. And it's so much easier to prevent and there's so much less pain involved, all right, but that's not how our brains work. So we are a conspiracy of irrational beings who wait to react rather than prevent. So knowing that, we can take action in our own lives. So I want to ask you, how well are you eating right now? How well are you taking care of your physical body? How well are you exercising? How much time do you spend deep breathing, managing stress, Uh, tensing and relaxing muscles? How much time do you spend on mobility, on stretching? How much time do you spend meditating on the thoughts that run through your head and seeing them as clouds rather than as an unchanging reality? This is all prevention. It all has to work as prevention. Once we're, once we're reactive, in these days, it's, it's already a little bit too late. So yeah, you can get, you know, in the old days, two months ago, you could have your type 2 diabetes, you could be on your metformin, you could be taking your, uh, your other medications, you could be uh, punching yourself with, with uh, insulin, and you could get by. But now the threat of COVID-19 means that you are immunocompromised, you're inflamed, you're much more likely to have a very negative or even lethal reaction. So now is not the time to be reactive. If you, whatever you can do at this moment to prevent your health from deteriorating and to support your immune function, to reduce inflammation, now's the time. So a second way in which human beings are amazingly irrational is that we, we like to focus on the symptoms rather than the underlying causes of a situation. Right? And you see the entire pharmaceutical industry is based on 
Let's knock out symptom after symptom. And of course, all of the symptomatic cures have side effects, which create their own symptoms. So we end up with, with a dozen pills to take. And of course, they, aren't, they still can't manage all the side effects because you'd have to keep taking more and more pills. So we, uh, we end up doing a cost-benefit analysis on which side effects we're willing to tolerate. And of course, nobody is dealing with the cause of the disease. All right, The cause of heart disease is not a lack of statins. The cause of diabetes is not a lack of exogenous insulin. Now, for people with type 1 diabetes, the only thing you can do is exogenous outside insulin because the cause is not reversible currently. The um, pancreatic beta cells cannot be regenerated as of yet. So when, when the symptom is not reversible, then we have to treat symptoms. But for most of us, most of the time, there is a root cause. As a coach, that's my job, is to look at what, what's going on in people's lives, in their behaviors, in their lifestyles, and see that what they attribute, the, the root cause, is actually another symptom. And we go below. We may go three, four, five, six layers deeper to find here's the actual engine that created the system that we're living in now. So when you are looking at the world and you are seeing all these symptoms, you're seeing fragmentation, you're seeing scrambling over resources, you're seeing the spread of a disease, you're seeing stockpiling, you're seeing price gouging, uh, you're seeing hospitals unable to cope. Each of these is a symptom and and different people are acting on all these symptoms. The root cause is separation. The root cause is... It's weird to say that the root cause of a virus pandemic is separation because it's close proximity that is the symptomatic um, spreader. But the fact that we as a species, we as the dominant species on planet Earth are at odds with the planet so that factory farming, whether in the U.S. or in the wet markets of China, is always opening the door for zoonotic disease. The fact that we don't live either as horticulturalists or as hunter-gatherers, that we get huge numbers of animals together in unsafe, unsanitary conditions, that we bring different types of animals together. That separation, that lack of being part of nature. What other animal does that? Right? That our unwillingness to live in, in the hands of the world, to trust that the world will provide for us the way it does for every other species on the planet that has survived. It's almost like we think we can't win the game of evolution by playing fair. If we, if it's too risky to just live in the hands of nature. We've got to hoard... We've got to corral. We've got to um, change the rules just, just for ourselves. And the separation between different peoples, where it's taken such a long time for nations to begin to share information with each other. When you look at the pharmaceutical industry, the fact that for the first time, pharmaceutical companies are making handshake deals without 18 months of legalese. 
right? So this virus is helping us in some ways to come together to address this underlying symptom that we need to control the world because we don't feel like we're part of it. And so that's something that each of us can address in our own psyche. It's not something that someone can decree. It's going to be a consciousness shift. And this period of quarantine, of daily life as we know it stopping, I hope will be an opportunity for us to take some deep breaths, to become introspective, and to find the ways in which we ourselves are cut off from our animal nature. And the easiest way is to look at the way we eat and drink and move and sleep and live. How much time do we spend outdoors in nature versus in comfortable, climate-controlled, safe spaces? Can we let go of some of our fears of the natural world and begin to re-experience it? Begin to re-experience ourselves as animals. Um, another irrationality, another conspiracy of irrationality that humans um, maintain is we look at what's isolated rather than what is systemic. And that's very much related to, related to symptom versus underlying cause. But when we want to make a change, and I'm going to talk about plant-based nutrition here, that that is a systemic shift that will change the way humans are on the earth it, because it's, it's so broad in its effects. It prevents deforestation of the Amazon. It prevents the drawdown of aquifers. It re- distributes resources more equi- equitably in the world and can alleviate poverty rather than a few people with their meat and everyone else begging for scraps, bags of maize dropped on Africa. Plant-based eating can reverse global warming. That it's such a big, important thing. And we often think of it in terms of, oh, well, just my diet and other people aren't doing it. And it seems so small. It seems like such an isolated issue. And yet when we look at in this time, all the ways in which our current infrastructure based, and, and, and don't make no mistake, infrastructure, society, is ultimately based on our relationship to food. That's it. That's the fundamental. Everything else is built on our relationship to food. So if our relationship to food is CAFOs, feedlots, um, monocrops, and giant distribution and sales centers like uh, warehouses and supermarkets, then there are things we cannot do. There are places we cannot go. There are thoughts we cannot think because it is too scary to separate ourselves from that food supply. But if there's any way right now that you can promote local plant-based production and eating, if you have a garden, if you can grow some herbs on a windowsill, if you can start to support a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, or a local farm, this is a systemic shift that everyone who listens to this podcast is already familiar with, that can make a huge difference. The other conspiracy is not about irrationality, but it's about the mainstream, mainstream medical, mainstream media, mainstream industry, mainstream government, denying the truth of 
lifestyle to change health trajectory. We know that the mainstream ignores plant-based nutrition. It ignores a healthy lifestyle. And they have done so for a long time. Right? We, we've all heard the stories about people. You know, you've heard dozens, hundreds of stories like this on my podcast, on Plant Yourself, about people who hear about this, go to their doctor, and the doctor says, oh, I never heard about that. Or the doctor says, yeah, I know, but no one is ever going to... Uh, do it so I don't tell them. Or the doctor says, well, you need to watch out how, you get, how much protein you get now if you've gone plant-based. I don't think that's going to help, right? We know that the medical establishment, the dietitian establishment, don't really believe in plant-based nutrition and whole food plant-based nutrition to change health outcomes. I want to point out to you, and I'll put it in the show notes for today's episode, an article uh, that T. Colin Campbell wrote And it's called Our Most Important Defense Against COVID-19, Finding Hope Through Scientific Evidence. Now, I thought before I read it that I knew what was going to be in the article. I thought Colin was going to talk about the evidence for plant-based nutrition to make us healthy, to boost our immune system generally, and pointing out the data that most of the people who die from this disease or get very seriously ill are already compromised in some way. And he does say that. However, he points out that his research in China and Taiwan, and this is research from a long time ago, was actually uh, done not just on cancer, heart disease, but also was done on viral markers, virus and nutrition-related associations. And because if you remember, the uh, the liver cancer that, that, that uh, triggered his interest in um, protein and animal protein and plant-based nutrition in the first place was um, mediated by pathogens. It wasn't just a cancer where you just get a disease or heart disease. It was actually mediated by pathogens. And his research, which I'd never seen until now, points out that people who ate the healthiest had the strongest immune response and were less likely to catch a viral disease, were less likely to get very sick from it, and were less likely to spread it. I was blown away by this, so I'm going to include a link. Um, if, you, if you are just listening, go to plant-based, sorry, plantpurecommunities.org. This is Nelson Campbell's uh, organization, plantpurecommunities.org, and then just go search for you know news or whatever, press releases. Um, it's called defense-against-covid-19, in case you want the whole link. So this is, uh, you know... Crazy times. And when we're in crazy times, it's easy to believe crazy things. And the hard part is, as I said up up front, we don't know what's crazy and what's not crazy. We don't know. Maybe it was a big plot by the Chinese government or the U.S. government. Maybe 5G is the problem. Uh, Maybe someone is doing this to wreck the economy and is going to profit by shorting. Who knows? We don't know. We can say they sound unlikely. We can say there's no evidence for it. But why don't we focus on the things that we do know? Let's not keep grasping for things that will have no weight when we grasp them. We know that human beings are irrational in predictable ways. And so we can take care, effort in our own thinking to combat those irrationalities and to act in opposition to them, to act in ways that further 
our own good and the communal good. And we can also grasp onto this solid handhold of lifestyle, of whole food plant-based nutrition, of natural human movement, of good sleep hygiene, avoiding alcohol, avoiding tobacco, and reducing our stress and being as social as we can in the given situation to save our own lives and to save the lives of people around us because then we become part of the solution. We don't become part of the conspiracy of spreaders. We become part of the conspiracy of helpers, those who breathe together metaphorically to make the world a better place. All right, so that's it for today. Um, I want to quickly remind you that the tip jar is open at plantyourself.com slash gift, G-I-F-T, all lowercase. You can make a one-time contribution on PayPal to help support the mission of the show and to help support me and my family right now as we are continuing our lockdown in South Africa with uh, no way home at the moment. Um, A couple of products to let you know about. I've made a series of relaxation, guided relaxation exercises for the homebound and stressed out. And you can find that at plantyourself.com slash unstress, U-N-S-T-R-E-S-S, unstress. And that's a pay what you want, pay what you can product. So if you have no funds available right now for anything, just go grab it with my blessing for free. If there's a, uh, a contribution you can make towards uh, my business and my family in return, that would be awesome and absolutely not necessary. And feel free to share this as widely as you like with anyone who could use it. Right now there's 10 audios. I'll probably be adding another one or two uh, today over the next coming days. Um, really just to help you on a daily basis, wrap your mind and take actions that will allow you to de-stress and to to reach for your best self. One more product to let you know about. Um, I have been in a struggle with audible.com to get the audio version of Use the Weight to Lose the Weight, the latest book that Josh Lajani wrote with my help. And from South Africa, have been unable to do it, just haven't been able to upload and, and make the changes. So... Audible doesn't love the audio format, but I think you will. And so I've decided to sell it for my own shopping cart. It's under 10 bucks, $9.95. And it's basically Josh telling the story of his journey from 420 pounds to athlete. Um, and it's the it's sort of uncensored straight talk. It's not all bubbles, rainbows, unicorns, and uh, fairy farts. There is a lot of things that you need to know about when you're on that journey that Josh wishes he'd known about, um, what happens when you need to lose the weight and you lose it quickly, what happens to your body, how you can prevent certain uh, uncomfortable or even dangerous um, adaptations to movement, to vigorous movement when you're heavy and when you start losing the weight. Um, You can get that at sicktofit.com slash badass, <laughs> B-A-D-A-S-S, sicktofit.com slash badass. If you'd like to listen to Josh with a little bit of me, maybe I'm, I'm in there for maybe 3%, but it's mostly Josh telling his story. Uh, again, uh, sicktofit.com slash badass. So thanks for listening, everybody. 
I uh, hope you have a great day. I hope this is a happy Sunday for you. Spend time um, with people you love or thinking about people you love. And hopefully you are one of the people that you love and you start treating yourself like that. So um, as part of the global human conspiracy to make the world a better place, I'll give you the, uh, the secret sign-off. As always, be well, my friends. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Reidenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willreidenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Mr. Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Kinoski, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes of Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, hi Janet, Claire Adams, Tom Franzak, Jeanette Benham, Gil Lassert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Jerome Avizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesen, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, The Equally Mysterious, Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Martha Bergner, Susan Ahmad, Nolly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobble, Julian Rodkins, Breed O'Connell. Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen Jo Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justin Divich, Ashra Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Bacorny, Stephen Lehman, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Karts, Dean Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullich, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganchik, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidoraska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, and Michael Lushton for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends.